This is the Risky Mix podcast, where we speak with those people changing the mix in the insurance industry. Sharing their personal journeys, their inspirational stories, and answering the questions we all want answered. Welcome to this week's episode of the Risky Mix podcast and our chat with Anna Soffert. We had so much to talk about with Anna across a range of different topics, so we decided to split the session into two separate podcasts. So let's get started. We hope you enjoy part one of our chat with Anna. So joining us today is founder and managing director of Adidi, an advice firm that specialises in supporting women and their families. Anna Soffert is on a mission to change the culture of wealth, spearheading the Are You In movement. Thanks for joining us today, Anna. It's lovely to have you here. I'm overjoyed to be here, so thank you for having me. So perhaps we'll kick off. And yes. Can you tell us why you created Adidi? Um, so I've been in financial services um, almost 30 years, not quite. Um, and I think when I trained, my early career was really training to be a banker. And that was okay. You're in a big corporate and you buy all of that while you're young. But quite early on, I, I realised that if I wanted to climb the corporate ladder, that somewhere in there, it'd be the end of who I was. So right mm-hmm. at the heart of me. And sort of, uh, and I stepped back without sort of, not necessarily consciously, but sort of I thought, if this is what's going to take, I'm not sure I can give it without very big cost to myself. Anyway, I did leave the banking world and I started my um, advisory business to have more flexibility. But the first time I felt at home was with another business, which was focused on women. It was, I suppose, the first for women by women business Mm. set up in the late 80s to help women become financially independent. And when I went there in 2000, I'd left advising because I dislike commissions, I disliked sales focused, um, and I was sort of back into sort of marketing operational role. Um, and it was the first place really I felt at home um, in financial services. Uh, the banking or the building society I was with was very gentlemanly, very sort of 60s, um, quite old-fashioned but quite gentle, so it was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But the rest of it was pretty, you know, sales-focused, transactional, target, and really uh, nothing that really emotionally engaged me Mm -hmm. or motivated me. Mm -hmm. But at Fiona Price, um, I quickly really realised it so much boiled down to how the, what the business values are mm-hmm. and how it's run. And yeah. being a bunch of women, I, I, was, I went there as their ops director uh, and it was fantastic. And the clients loved us. Right. And they loved us because they knew they could trust us okay. to do the right thing, that we didn't sell products. Mm-hmm. We did advice. Where there were products needed, they got them. Yeah. Um, so when the business got sold and... In a way, I found myself second time in my life in financial services, back in a corporate world, mm. which was pretty much dog eat dog. And and again, I was like, no, I can't do this. No. So I left and set a DD up. Um, and the reason, I suppose, uh, for the first year, it was just really getting my head under the belt, just making sure we had revenue coming in and the business could actually survive. 
So after that, I sort of stepped back and said, where do I want it to go? And I focused on women. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, it's been, I've been around a long time now. Yeah. And would you say that um, Fiona's business was, you took that as inspiration for, for building a DD? Did you kind of take what you what you learned from from there? Um, yes, I, I think wherever you go as you travel in your in your life, you you learn mm. and you grow mm. um, at any one point in time. I think probably my biggest lesson um, from Vietnam Pride were probably two really in some ways. It was the experience I gained, yeah. but the second one really was that to appreciate that you could do business in a different way. Yeah, that mm. you didn't have to do what was the normal business model yeah. out there. And you can have a perfectly good business, um, and it can resonate with your values and how you want to do things. Absolutely. That was probably my biggest takeaway: uh, that fact that when I set a DD up, I had the confidence that I could have a good, sustainable business. Didn't have to focus on every sale. I could focus on building up a relationship with people, um, and that 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 would pay dividends. I can't even imagine the contrast from going to a, a really corporate, um, as you say, kind of doggy dog yeah. environment mm. yeah. to a predominantly female yeah. firm. I imagine that was just such a shift and probably a big relief that you could build a business without doing the doggy dog thing. And yes, I mean, I left that actually um, a few years before I went to Fiona Price. Um, I left that when uh, I had my my eldest daughter. But when I went back and told them I was pregnant, and um, the first um, comment my manager made, so he had a female uh, marketing director, male marketing manager, was, oh, well, that's the end of that then. <gasps> because literally every time it was like, you won't come back. And I was like, I mean, this was 90s, don't forget. So, mm-hmm. And I was like, no, no, I'm coming back. You know, <laughs> I've invested a lot of time I I know where I want to go somewhere so I will be back Um, but that was basically the perception and in a way that then plays out to how you were treated because Mm. when I did go back they were very flexible for the first couple of months you know I could work through lunch and go home an hour early etc but the culture there was you had to be there sort of about eight in the morning it wasn't there was work you just had to be seen Mm-hmm. And you didn't leave till seven. Yeah. I mean, you're single and uncommitted. It's absolutely fine. When you have a six-month-old baby, it's like, do I want to sit here staring at my screen, wasting my time when I could be at home with my daughter? So I actually, and that's something the business world doesn't appreciate. Yeah. It doesn't appreciate the, the skills you learn in being at home, caring for family, whether that's children or whether that's parents or whether that's just managing a household we all learn skills uh, and life skills that actually are valuable when we go into work Mm -hmm. it's not just your qualifications yeah and and i think not enough um attention perhaps is focused on that yeah Mm -hmm. so i think that's a really really interesting point because i guess having a child and having to balance your family life with a career is a yeah. really tough job and, yes. and you're spinning so many plates and that is a skill being yeah. able to it manage multiple things yeah. which you're completely right do companies fully recognize that um no or reward it frankly mm-hmm. because i can guarantee it the more women have those skills than men by necessity because we've had to develop it over mm. decades yeah um but it's, it's not recognised and it's certainly not valued. 
So let's talk about Adidi then. Yes. So Adidi is, let me get it right, the voice of women's wealth. Yes. So you're yeah, predominantly a wealth firm, yeah. but you also talk about protection um, yes. with the women that you Absolutely. work with. So yeah, tell us about kind of the advice that you give both on the wealth side and the protection side when yes. it comes to women and, and, and you know the trends that you're seeing. You know, what are women thinking about now yes. that they perhaps weren't before? Um, okay, well, let's, let's start with the bigger picture and then we'll go to the granular um, sort of how we work with clients. So big picture level. So when I set um, a GD up, there were two statistics which really jumped out at me. One was how quickly female wealth is increasing. So even in 2008, there were more female millionaires under the age of 44 than men in the UK. Wow. And that's still the case. Yes. Every time I say that, I'm amazed how few people know that still. I'm looking forward to being one of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, because you, chances are you will be more than uh, sort of a, a young man sitting next to you. That's one. And secondly, how quickly that overall female wealth is increasing. Mm. So we already know women influence more than 70% of buying decisions right across everywhere. But quite soon, and I think that the report I read was by 2020, which is only next year, we will have more than 50% of the investable wealth. Wow. Okay. So these yeah. are big statistics, big trends. So financial services particularly is bad. So we have 1.1 million people employed. We have the biggest pay gap mm. in the country. And I think uh, we, um, RBS has just appointed a female CEO, and I think she may be okay. the first um, female financial services FTSE 100 CEO. So we still got quite a lot of work to be done. Yeah. And it boils down to culture and values. I've spent quite a long time, which is really where the, the Voice of Women's Wealth campaign rose, because we were again looking back at sort of research and trends and what's happening and what it became apparent effectively to me is that because a lot of women leave like like I I only really stayed in financial services because of Fiona Price I think mm -hmm. I would have left it by now otherwise I would have been somewhere else right. and there's still statistics again show that many women leave around about 38 is a tipping point and I was seeing that 10 years ago when I when I set DD up, I was seeing, you know, that 40-ish, late 30, I would have these conversations with women about their careers and they'd be like, it was almost like they got to a point where they had set themselves out to get to, right. you know, where they were, whatever level they, they had given themselves, that's where I want to get to. They tick that box. Right. And then there was an assessment to say, where, where do I now go? And... And they would look at what I call the sticky middle. Really, at the top, there are often good policies coming from, you know, the management, if you like. They're all there in HR. Equality, diversity, they're all there. Mm. But gets into that sticky middle and nothing much changes. And that's all to do with culture mm. and the effort that goes into shift that culture. And what ends up happening is as you come up the ranks, if you look at it, both men and women come into the industry pretty equally. Um, if anything, there are probably slightly more women graduates. 
So you come equally, and then as you go up, by the time you get through that sticky middle, there's a real drop-off for women, right. and typically around about through 38. And it's because they've got to a point where they had aimed for, for themselves. And then they look at the next step into that sort of lower senior management ranks, and they look and see the cost that's going to come. It's going to come at a cost. And many of them self-select out and go, no. So it's not so much a glass ceiling, it's this sticky middle. Right. And they basically don't want to make the sacrifices it's going to take. Right. Because it comes at a personal cost, effectively. Now, the industry needs to, which is why we've launched the Are You In movement, because yeah. it's all about behaviours. Yeah. It's about behaviours right at the bottom as much as it is about the top, because you can't just change from the top down. You have to start looking at individual behaviours at the bottom. Yes. Um, so it's that sticky middle, basically. So that's why we've, we did the Voice of Women's Wealth campaign last year, because the industry is wanting female wealth. They, they are uh, more and more of the big corporates are focusing on bringing female investors, female clients in. And I want it to be meaningful. Mm. I don't want it to be pink and fluffy marketing campaign. We did some um, research among um, to launch the Are You In moment, and um, and so we when we sort of took out all the women responses. Only ten percent of those felt that the industry actually met their need or understood them. Ten percent. Wow. And the two big pat hates were jargon and being sold to. Right. Okay. okay. Um, so one of the uh, things you were talking about earlier is what does the industry need to do? And actually, they need to pay attention to those. They need to pay attention and say, okay, if we're going to look after more female money, then what are women's needs? They're not the same needs as women, men. No. And yet in our industry, we think, what's so different about marketing or selling to women because actually the products are the same There's, mm. but they are not the same because women's needs aren't the same and in protection particularly yeah i think the women's needs are very different to men and yet i don't see any product i see lots of marketing campaign aimed at women but i don't see any product which has women th- thinking behind it and, and from your perspective Anna, what would that thinking need to be for, for a product? I think it needs to be, it need, you need to have more women actually designing those products right. to say, step back and say, okay, if we're designing, for argument's sake, a protection product, what is it we want? Because women actually, as, as sort of home makers, as mothers, as carers, they have protection needs. Mm, mm. But where do we have a product that meets their needs through... Those, those periods in their life. We yeah. have just life cover, we have critical illness, there's some around breast cancer, which try yeah. to be a more, bit more female friendly, mm. but nothing much else. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. I think, I mean, uh, this um, awareness of the, I guess, the gender data bias, yeah. um, it's becoming like a bigger and bigger it thing. Is. This understanding that we just don't, well, Historically, we haven't collected data around the way women work, the way yes. women live, the way women care, yes. um, and there's this underlying assumption that you know the default um, is male, 
Yeah. Yes. And yeah. so everything is designed to for suit, yeah, for men, yeah. even though we're not actually conscious about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I really woke up to this um, reading. Um, to invisible Woman. Invi- yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, my um, my other half was, you know, he, he I'd sit on the couch reading it at night and he'd say, can you please stop reading that book? It's making you really angry. <laughs> like, I can't help it because, you know, there are all of these, the way we use bathrooms, the way we yeah. use public transport is all designed not for, for the, our needs. We're, yeah. you know, 50, 51% of the population. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just amazing to have women like you sort of addressing those um like, you know, people well, I think lots of yeah. I mean, I think there are lots of other women there as well. Yeah, I think there is a real shift. I notice, um, and it will pick up more and more. Yeah. It will need to change, and I think probably um, my um, what I hope in particular is that I actually, as women, as we do own more power. Because with money and with success comes yeah. power. Yes. As we take our seat at that table of power, and it's still there are far, far too many women doing that, that I actually we really step back and reflect as to how we're going to use that power. Okay? Because I think the saddest thing would be is we carried on with a business as usual model, whether it's in politics, whether it's in the corporate world. Mm. Um, and actually at home, with more of a partnership approach to building a home. Um, I think we have a real opportunity in a way now to sort of just understanding our experience of not being equal, if you like, Mm. to really take that opportunity and look and say, how do we want to do business going forward? And I think on on the plus side, I think the younger generation, the millennials, all of them want something different as well. They don't want to work the same levels that I, you know, put in the hours we put in. Mm. They, they want more work-life balance. They mm. want values-based. So the drive towards sustainability in investment, in in more flexibility around working hours, all of that, I think, is coming from combination of women and the younger generation. And I'm hoping that will make the shift and the change we need if we do it in a conscious way and really think about the value piece. Um, hopefully, that's where we'll go. Yeah, but I think that consciousness is, that self-awareness is what is so key because you're mm-hmm. right, if we don't, as women, even though we may be um, gaining in wealth and gaining in, in power and education, if we're not aware of that, then we, we don't consciously assert yes. that power. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so obviously seeing um, women like yourself doing that and advocating for that is, is really important. Um, but yes, I think you're right, there is a wellspring of um, you know, women. And, and so there's a desire for a difference, yes. I think. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but within that, I think as women, and we, we're not a, a, um, a uniform set, you know, we're all different shapes and sizes. But within that, what I hope is that actually we recognise that we do have a, a nurturing DNA, which is actually quite valuable to us, Absolutely. I think, as yeah. individuals. And it would be sad, I think, not to recognise the differences and value those differences that we have, with not just with men, but with mm. young, old, mm. different generations, different ethnic background and to value those differences and to 
because all research shows is the diverse teams that do the best. And that isn't just yes. man, women. No. Yes. It's, it's all sort of young, old, all of that diverse, you know, different way different brains work. Yes. Adds to that. So partly why I think the RU in movement is so important because it's it's not about women, men, it's about mm. values. Mm. Mm. So in a way I, I feel really optimistic that maybe, maybe our industry is the one to set a new tone yeah. and to make that difference because we do have power because we're about money and we can use that for the better yeah. um, to do things differently going forward than perhaps we have in the past. You've reached the end of part one of our chat with Anna. Thanks for listening in. Tune in next week for part two where we learn what female investors really want and hear which pledges Anna has made as part of the Are You In movement. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do so via our Twitter account, at Risky Mix. We'd love to hear your thoughts and questions, and if you know any inspirational women in the industry who you think would be great for the Risky Mix podcast, please get in touch. See you next week.